Well, we start a brand new series today in the book of Hebrews. My only apologies are that you have to listen to a voice like this and that I'm under the influence of Theraflu. So who knows what's going to happen through some of this, um, but we start in the book of Hebrews. So I invite you to look in your copy of the scriptures or find on your electronic device the book of Hebrews is toward the tail end of your copy of the Bible. Now the book of Hebrews, it is, as I have looked at it, it is the least studied book of the New Testament. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. It's the least studied book of the New Testament. So, there's a number of reasons for that. One of the reasons is there's a few unknowns about the book of Hebrews, and we're going to find some of those unknowns out in just a minute. Another reason why Hebrews is one of the least studied books of the Bible is because, um, I'm just going to be straight up with you, there are some really tough passages in the book of Hebrews. It's not a book that you um, can dance through or tiptoe through. This is not a book for dancing shoes. This is a book for um, work boots, okay? This is a book for work boots, for work gloves, for slogging through some difficult things. And, and it's not an easy book necessarily to get through. But I'm going to tell you, it is worth it. When you get through this book, man, it is absolutely worth the weighty content, the difficult task that you're going to go through in getting through it. I can't wait, I really can't wait to discover together all that this book has to offer. This is really good stuff. And I've already been blessed and challenged. It's going to be great when we get to see it together. And, and here's a couple things I want you to do. As we work through this, I, I want you to read ahead. And in fact, a couple things you could do, um, just go ahead and maybe read through the entire book. Even in one setting, just read right on through it. And I know you can do it, because you know how, how we can sit at the couch and just like with our thumb on our tablet or our phone for hours on end, well, you could do that with the book of Hebrews and breeze through it in about an hour, guaranteed. And then, just go ahead and as we come up on Sunday, just go through the portion that we're going to deal with on Sunday morning, and I think you'll be able to get more out of it, enjoy a little bit more as we work through it on Sunday. Here's another thing you can do. There's a number of study resources that I work through. Um, that helped me in my work on Sunday mornings, there's a middle ground study resource that, that I think would be really good if you wanted to get your hands on this. In fact, our resource center will be getting copies of these in future weeks, so be looking for this in our resource center, which is right across the hall over here. Um, it's by Warren Wearsby. It's a resource by him on Hebrews. By Warren Wearsby, it's called Be Confident. By Warren Wearsby. Um, 
that they will be picking that up. We will be letting you know when they have come in if you want to get them from the Resource Center. It's a great commentary on the book of Hebrews. I think it will help all of us as we work through it together. Okay, so you ready to get started? I'm going to give you one big guess who the primary subject of the book of Hebrews is about. Okay, if you don't get this one right, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is what makes it so special. So let's get started. Now, I'm going I'm to give you a few things. This is an introduction. Today, we're not going to jump into chapter 1, verse 1. This is an introduction to the book. And then next week, we're going to really jump into the very beginning of it. But I want you to know some introductory thoughts of the book of Hebrews. That way, um, this is the background. This is the setting into the whole thing. Here's some things that we don't know. So if you have your study guide, pull that out. Here are some things that we don't quite know at this point. It doesn't mean that no one knew. I guarantee you that the, the original recipients of this letter, they knew all of this stuff. Just here we are a couple thousand years later, and this is unknown to us. But the original recipients knew this. Number one, the unknowns, we don't know the writer. Like, we don't know exactly who penned this. Now, there are some potentials that we guess upon, and I think these are the most valid potentials. I'm going to tell you who I think it is. It doesn't mean it's gospel. There are 11 possibilities. The top three candidates, from what I can see, are the Apostle Paul, Luke, and Barnabas. And each candidate has their list of pros and cons for the writer, and the greatest evidence appears to be, from what I can see, Paul. I believe it to be the Apostle Paul. The early church fathers predominantly ascribe the role of writer to the Apostle Paul. And there is some periodic similarity with his other writings and some of the names mentioned in the text were associates of Paul. But the book doesn't include his typical inclusion of normally he puts his name right in there. I, the Apostle Paul, it makes it really easy for us. He didn't do it this time. So it does make us wonder. However, it wouldn't surprise me when we get to heaven and if we found out that either Luke or Barnabas wrote it. But two thoughts about the question of who wrote this. Although we don't know who wrote it, here's the deal. I do know the author. It's God. And there's not a problem with me who penned it as long as I know that God is the author. Amen? You with me on that one? Here's the second thing. No matter if I knew who wrote it, I know the early recipients knew the writer. And they readily accepted it as its inclusion from a very valid writer and accepted it as gospel. So there we go. Here's the second thing. We don't know exactly the date of the writing. 
Many of these we can pinpoint in New Testament, the date of the writing. There's some question about this. I know you're wondering, what does this matter? You're going to find out as we go through the text why it does matter a little bit. The text deals with the potential of Jewish believers reverting back to the sacrificial system. And the temple was overthrown in AD 70. So we know that this was written before AD 70, most likely after AD 55. So if you're a, a guru about dates and when this needed to be done, sometime between AD 55 and before AD 70. And there you go with that. Here's the third one. We don't know exactly, because it doesn't say it, we don't know exactly the recipients. We don't know exactly the recipients because it doesn't specifically state the recipients. Normally when Paul would write a letter, he'd say, I, Paul, to the, and then he'd fill in the blank. Well, here he doesn't say it. I am going to say most plausibly the recipients are Jewish Christians. Now I'm going to say that they're Jewish because the name of the book is Hebrews. That kind of gives you a little tip into that. And that these are believers, and we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. So the option aligns best with the message of the text that we're going to see in just a moment. Even though we don't know for sure, it seems the context states that these are Jewish believers. And here's what we do know. This is what we do know. Here we go. We do know... So if you're in the book of Hebrews, look over at chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 32. Here's what we do know. The recipients were experiencing suffering and persecution. Now look at this text. This is interesting. This is going to like peel back the reality on what these folks were going through. Here's verses 32 through 35. Watch this, would you? It says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Here's the deal. Notice at the very beginning he says, remember those early days after you received the light. So here's these people. They became believers following their becoming believers They went through persecution of all kinds, including ridicule, slander, abuse, imprisonment, people taking their their possessions, all after they received the light. You talk about the potential for disillusionment. 
Talk about the potential for people walking away from their faith. And that's why the writer says, so don't throw away your confidence. Don't walk away from this even though this has been happening to you. Have you ever been personally tempted to walk away from from your faith, from Jesus Christ because of bad things that have come into your life? Now, let's just be open and honest about this. Have you ever questioned, like, am I on the right path? Because there's a whole lot of bad things that have been happening. Is it even worth it for me? Have you ever had family members or friends that have said, is, is, this, even, is this even worth it anymore? Like, sure, I made a profession, I went down the aisle, or I've been doing this thing, but look at all that's been going bad. Why should I keep doing this? Is it even worth all of this pain and suffering to keep doing this? Maybe this isn't for me anymore. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to what I used to get my satisfaction from. I'm going to go back to what I used to hope in. Now, that, listen, that is exactly the concern of Hebrews. That's what the writer was concerned about. People going back to what they used to believe in because they were enduring hardship and problems. Now, there's many things that people hope in. Many things that people hope in. Now, I've seen this. I've seen people hope in relationships. Now, now just work through this with me. I've seen people in bad relationships, and then they say, you know what, I need to get out of this I need to get out of this bad relationship and I need to give my life to Jesus. And then they do. And then you know what? They say, God hasn't given me a new relationship. And at least the other one was something. You ever heard that? You ever been in that? So I'm going back. People that hope in relationships. Some people hope in, in substance or in excess of, of alcohol. And it does something for them, either gives them a buzz or it numbs their senses. And, and, and then it gets, it gets to be too much for them. And they say, you know what, I need to get out of that and I need to hope in Jesus Christ. And they put their life in Jesus and they're saying, you know what, here's where I'm at. And they say, you know what, but... It's not doing it for me. And I'm going to go back. I lost an uncle. He died in poverty. He died in the basement of his son's home. Because he lost his car. He lost his home. He lost every possession and penny he had to gambling. And it's what he put his hope in. And he would go back to the casino in Atlantic City, hoping, hoping, hoping. 
this was going to be his turn that would do it for him. This is going to be the one that's going to make him rich. Well, let's try it here this morning. I'm thinking of a number between one and 400 million. Okay, make your guess right now. Make your guess. Between one and 400 million. You locked in? I was 279,341,852. Okay. Since none of you got it right, for each of you to enjoy the full effect of playing the lottery on your way out, I want you to give me $2 for your ticket. Some people hope in that. Some people hope in their bank account. Some people hope in their possessions. You know, some people hope in politics. Like, oh, if my person isn't in there, there's no hope for the world. If it's not blue or if it's not red, <laughs> this world's going to pot. Because it's all, it's all on who's in office. With the suffering that these people were experiencing, they had trusted in God. They were believers, and then they were going through problems. And here the writer is like, oh no, don't go back. And what they were going to go back to, they were going to go back to their old religion. They were going to go back to their old religious system of trusting in what they did to sacrifice all their ceremonies, all of their religious duties, their rituals, to please God. If I just do enough, maybe God will be happy with me. If I perform correctly, God will like me. If I revere the history, the patriarchs, everything then God will once again be pleased with me. Maybe things aren't going my way because I'm not doing enough to please God. And the writer of Hebrews says, I want to put the brakes on right now. Don't go back to that. Don't go back to the spinning wheel, the rat's wheel of trying to please God on your own merit. It's not going to work that way. You trusted in Jesus. Stay on that path. And so that's why number two, this is what we do know about Hebrews. Hebrews is a book of hope. It's a book of hope. And it's what some people here today desperately need to hear, even if it's from a scratchy throat, Preacher, it's what some of you shoveled your driveway out and defrosted your car for an extra 20 minutes and got in here to hear because you need to hear hope. Hebrews is a book of hope. 
It's not hope in your circumstances. It's not hope in your possessions. It's not hope in a scratch-off ticket. It's not hope in substances. It's not hope that the next relationship will make you feel better. It's not hope that your person in politics will make your world better. It's not even hope in a religious system. It's not hope that the bottle will make you feel better. The book of Hebrews wants to de-risk your hope. And that's why it says throughout this entire book that there's really only one hope. There's only one hope of the world. There's only one hope that will not disappoint ever. There's one hope that will never be denied. And that's hoping in the one person and work of Jesus Christ. And the book, as we're going to find out next week, it starts with Jesus. And it ends with Jesus. It reminds us that in our trouble to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then it tells us that Jesus is far superior to anything that we could ever come up with to hope in. Whether it be a priest, whether it be a religious system, whether it be angels, whether it be other people, whether it be a ceremony, anything, Jesus is better than all of it. Hebrews is a book of hope. So I want to give you these last three things. And then we'll finish up uh, here today. So here we go. There's three overarching hope themes I want to give you from the book of Hebrews. And then next week, um, we're just going to jump right in. Hopefully no snow. Hopefully my voice sounds better. And we'll go from there. Here's number one. Three overarching hope themes. These are beauties. These are just awesome. Number one. First one is from Hebrews 11. I can't wait till we get there, although that's going to be probably sometime around September. You think I'm laughing. When life doesn't make sense. You ready? When life doesn't make sense. Obey. When life doesn't make sense, obey. Here's a beauty. In Hebrews 11, the writer rattles off names like Abraham. God said to Abraham, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to go to a place that you don't know where it is yet. And we all would say, sure, that sounds logical. And then he says a name like Noah. Noah, I want you to build an, an ark, and it hasn't rained yet. That makes sense, doesn't it? And for a hundred years, he built an ark. And then he said to Abraham and Sarah, and you're going to have a child. And Abraham was a hundred. And Sarah was 90. Now, folks, 
I'm 49. And I'd have trouble with that command right now, people. Wow. Are you kidding me? And we're just getting warmed up with this stuff. And then he tells Abraham after he has his son, Isaac, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. What? And on and on. And, and then there's other people like Joseph and Jacob and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and all the others of Hebrews 11. And, and the whole theme of Hebrews 11 is these people, God told them, I need you to do these things. And none of it made a bit of sense. In fact, some of it sounded outright loony. And God said, I... I this is what I want you to do. And this is the beauty of hope. Is that even when your life doesn't make sense, you don't have to figure it out. God just wants you to align your life with his. He will figure it out for you. Our hope is in him not in us figuring it out and manipulating it out. We just need to align our life with him. When life doesn't make sense, obey. There's an old song I remember from my growing up years when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. I'd sing it for you now, but it ain't going to sound good. And it says, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey when life doesn't make sense obey that's the first hope theme we don't have to figure it out to have hope life doesn't have to make sense to have hope we just need to align ourselves with God because with God there's hope here's number two hope theme heaven's rewards outweigh life's hurts that needs to be reset because that's a lot right there Heaven's rewards outweigh life's hurts. That almost sounds like amen territory. Heaven's rewards outweigh life's hurts. Now listen to this. Jesus went to the cross. And in chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, it says, Fix our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Like what? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus went through the unimaginable. For the joy set before him 
endured the cross, the shame, the opposition. And the thing he did to go through all of this was to focus on the joy. Being reunited at the right hand of the Father. Heaven with God was his focus, his joy, his hope. His hope of the future helped him endure the challenge of today. Paul put it this way, but this short time of distress, this is in 2 Corinthians 4.17, but this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. I like to say this, getting preoccupied with today's problems And not focusing on heaven is like being upset that they ran out of pretzel packets on your plane trip to Hawaii. Think about it. Heaven's rewards outweigh life's hurts. It's number three. And this is a beauty. We never walk alone. We never walk alone. Oh, I love this. From Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. If this is a new verse to you, This is one to mark in your Bible or to highlight or to make as a screensaver. If you're an old timer to Christianity, this is one to hang on to and resurrect. The end part of verse 5 says, God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what mere mortals do to me. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We never walk alone. We never walk alone. I never walk alone. Would you say that? I never, I never walk alone. That's hope, folks. That's hope. David said it best in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Do you know how the rest of it goes? For because you're with me. Because you're with me, I never walk alone. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I never walk alone. I won't be afraid. Because you're there, you're guarding, you're guiding Jesus is not way out there. 
He doesn't need to be summoned to become acquainted with my situation. He's already there. His presence is already there with every believer. You know, when NASA launches a rocket into space, their job is not done. And in fact, it only intensifies because when NASA gets that rocket into the air, it constantly monitors the rocket's progress, continually receiving from ground control thousands of data points per minute to keep it on the right course. And a rocket can only achieve its destination if it maintains constant contact with ground control. And the same is for you and for me, that constant presence of Jesus Christ. We never walk alone. Don't fix your eyes on your struggle. That's where the hope is not found. Don't fix your eyes on politics. Hope is not there. Don't fix your eyes on your finances. That is not where hope is found. The next relationship is not where hope is. Your employment is not where hope is. Your possession is not where hope is. The bottle is not where hope is. The scratch-off is not where hope is. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where hope is. Would you stand with me? Close your eyes for a moment. It's easy. And we're going to see in our study, it's easy to drift. Has your hope drifted? Have you found your hope drifting from Christ and drifting to other things? Today's today's a gut check, folks. It's time, it's time to find out, to draw the line in the sand. And to really take an inward look and say, yes, I have. I've drifted. I've been getting preoccupied about everything else. And I found little hope in Christ in what he's done for me, in who he is for me, in his presence for me, in what I have in store on the other side. Today, let's make today the beginning of our journey back to hope in Christ alone. Hope in Christ alone. Would you take a moment
would you express to Jesus your hope in him? There's a need to confess your wandering heart. Would you do that? you do that right now? I'm going to give you a moment of silence. Just in your heart, confess that to Jesus. And lastly, with your eyes closed, some people here today need to go the next step. And you need to share your wandering heart with your small group, with a friend, with a pastor, with someone who can help you. Because it may be too hard to stay on course all by yourself. And I know, I know. Would you commit even right now, I need to open up to someone because I can't go back where I was before. Make that commitment right now. God, you know who you're talking to. You know whose heart you're touching right now. Do the business you need to do. Help us to hope in Christ alone. He deserves it. We need it.